Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with The Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library. Welcome, friends. This week, Walt and I will turn to the book of Exodus in our Bibles, and we want to look more closely at the life of Moses. Actually, we're going to be here, camp here in the beginning of Exodus for the next three weeks, because what we've seen is there is a reoccurring theme of water in the life of Moses. God has called him. He's given him a very specific role dealing with the people of Israel. And in fact, in Psalm 106, just pulling out a segment from verse 23, Moses is actually referred to as God's chosen one, his chosen one. So I hope that you'll tune in over the next few weeks as we look at the life of this man who was chosen by God to serve in a very specific way with the people of Israel, all for God's glory. So turn with us now in Exodus as we look at Exodus chapter 1 and 2, and we'll begin now in Exodus 1. If if you remember how the end of the book of Genesis ends, Joseph has brought all of his brothers and family down, his father down to Egypt. And so as we open these first verses here in Exodus 1, we we get the list, the list of the 12 brothers and who has come. But now we know Joseph has died and the generation's gone on. And in verse 7, it says, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Well, when we read that verse 7, red lights should start going off, sirens should start going off, because there is a new king in Egypt. He doesn't remember Joseph. He doesn't know what Joseph did to save the Egyptians through very severe years of famine. But this new king in Egypt, in fact, as we continue through verse 8 down to verse 14, we see that this king is very threatened. These people have multiplied. They are fruitful. They've, they have grown exceedingly strong. And so he says, we've got to do something here. There are too many of them. They're becoming mightier than us. And so we need to make sure they don't multiply anymore. And so he's put taskmasters in place to put heavy burdens on them. And they built Pharaoh's store cities. We have that right here in scripture in verse 11. But you know, the more the people of Israel were oppressed, the more labor poured on them, God blessed them. Their families multiplied, and the more they spread out in the land of Egypt. And in fact, the dread, the fear within the Egyptians was building and was growing, and they put on the people even slavery to make their lives bitter with hard service. And they put them into building mortar and bricks and all kind of work out in the field because if they did not hold them down and keep them from multiplying, there was great fear in this new king's heart. 
And, you know, um, as you study Egypt at this time, it was very xenophobic, meaning the, the Egyptians um, liked to have their um, their own people in place. They didn't really, they did some trading, but at the same time, they were very careful that, that because they had these wide swaths of desert on either side of them, and most of their civilization was there along the Nile. And they had put the Hebrew um, people, they, they had put them into the land of Goshen, really this area that was kind of the Nile Delta, really on the edge um, of heading up towards um, the land of Israel. They put them on the edge there, and now they're saying, well, we've got to put them to work, um, storage cities, but also cities of defense, because that's where people will come in and attack us. And then they said, well, wait a minute. If some foreigners come in to attack us, maybe these foreigners, these Hebrew people, will join with them. And that's where the story continues. As we see, these Egyptians are saying, well, look, we we are having too many kids be born. And they tell the Hebrew midwives, they say, what we need you to do is we need, when you see that there's going to be a child born, um, you need to kill them, um, that they can't live, um, end their life before they're born. But and the Bible talks about this, this commanding. But at the beginning, that we're going to let the male children live because they're going to be our slaves. They're going to do this work. And yet the, the midwives fear God, and they said, no, you know, it's, we're going to start to have a, a child. They're so vigorous, these, these Hebrew women have the children fat so quickly. They're already born when we get there. And, and so, so they were letting the, the female, the daughters, live is what the command was, but kill any male children that are born and allow the daughters to live. But the midwives were disobeying Pharaoh. Yeah, and, and they're, they're making excuses. But it, it's, it's interesting, even as they do this, it says specifically that they're doing this for a reason. And I, I love this in Exodus one twenty one. It says, they did this because they feared God. And then it says, in the midst of their fear of God, in the midst of their not killing these these children, God gave these midwives families. God blessed them. And so we get to this main point, and now Pharaoh says, okay, every child, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you need to throw them into the Nile, um, but let the daughters live. And I don't see this happening for years and years and years, because they want some of these boys to be slaves. But for this time period, it's like, no, just kill all the boys. And that's where we get this amazing point, because the Nile has been this source of life. It, they irrigate their lands. The Nile is good to them. Their religion, their whole civilization is is around the Nile and the sun. <laughs> you know, the sun gives us our crops, but the Nile gives us our water. And so this place, this river that was to be a source of life, in this case, is now being turned into a source of death for every Hebrew male. And I love this, but God, in the midst of this, God is in the midst, and he's going to change. He's not going to allow this to happen. I I love in Isaiah 55, uh, verses 8 and 9, God reminds us that your ways are not my ways. God says, my ways are higher than your ways. And in this case, in the midst of this difficult situation, in the midst of this super great struggle 
and difficulty, God is at work. And, and Brenda, um, you know, uh, very recently I was meeting with a man that has is having great difficulty at work, and um, he's being put into some really hard situations. And he started to wonder, is it time for him to leave that? And yet, at the same time, he almost feels that God continues to want him to stay there, that he's he's having impact on some of the different uh, workers, both his boss and others around him. He, he feels like God is giving him a platform to be his man in that place at this time, but it's really really difficult. And and that's what it seems like. God is is keeping the people of, of Israel there in this really difficult time. And this isn't going on for a few days or a few weeks. This is going to continue for a long time, for multiple years. As a matter of fact, from when this story starts and we have the birth of Moses till he comes back, until he, he rescues them and leads them out of slavery, that whole time period is going to be 80 years well, God, what are you doing, and why aren't you doing this more quickly? And God, do you see? God, do you hear my prayers? And, and and He does. He does see, and He does hear. And and just that those questions, and you know what we said last week. Wait, it, you know that four letter word. Such a long time when we are called to wait, and in our human minds, when we wait, we struggle with that doubt and disappointment. And you and I were just reflecting uh, this weekend on Psalm 18, 1 to 3. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And we, it's those verses in these mid times of where, when we find ourselves in the midst of struggle and great difficulty, we have to turn to God's word and we have to know these words written by David, we can cling to them just as he did. And so we continue in Exodus 2, as Walt has pointed to, this son is going to be born. And these midwives, um, we're so thankful for them. They did not do what Pharaoh commanded them to do, but rather they said, oh, when we show up, the Hebrew women have already given birth and, and you know, they're, they're vigorous, they're strong women, and they've already given birth. And so we're not able to destroy the male children. And so with that, because of their fear for God, God watched over them. And now in Exodus 2, we see a man from the house of Levi took his wife, who's also a Levite woman. This woman conceived and she bore a son. And it's so interesting in the text. And we'll look at the cross reference to this text as well when we look over in Hebrews 11. But we're told he is a fine child. In fact, Hebrews 11 tells us he was a beautiful baby boy. She hid him for three months. She kept this baby as quiet as she could, I'm sure, nursing him practically nonstop so that he would not whimper or cry. But there came a point where she couldn't hide him any longer. And so we know this story. Those of us who grew up in Sunday school and have heard, we we may have made baskets and put baby dolls in them and talked about this basket where this small baby boy was placed and then floated among the reeds there in the Nile River. 
And his sister, a little older than he, Miriam, was put on watch, as it were, um, to watch from a distance to see that he would be okay and and what, in fact, would God do, which, you know, right here I have to pause, Walt, and say, when we're in those situations and we actually take a basket, you know, think of taking a basket and putting that worry and putting that fear or that difficult situation and holding it out to the Lord. That's what we see this mother doing with this beautiful baby boy. And as he's floating there in the river, he began to cry. And his sister Miriam must have thought, oh no, what to do? But the problem was she couldn't move toward him. Why? Because Pharaoh's daughter with her women escorting her had come down to the river. And so she sent her women over to pull this basket and she opened it up and she saw this little beautiful baby boy And she knew this is one of the Hebrews' children. Well, Miriam was a wise girl, even at her young age, or certainly the Lord was clearly directing her. She went over. She didn't sputter or stammer too much. She didn't say too much. She didn't say too little. But she said, should I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse this baby? And we see God's hand of provision. Here is this chosen little boy that God has chosen for a very amazing task in his years, years ahead, 120 years this man would live. And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, take this child away and have him nursed. In fact, I'm going to pay the nurse to take care of this child And when the child grew older, when this boy grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. And this baby boy, as a young child now, became her son. And she called him Moses because I drew him out of the water. And you know, for this situation, God had his eye on it, and it's, it is truly a faith situation. It's faith for this mother to put this baby in a basket and allow him to float in the Nile River. It's trusting God as Miriam walks to Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter obviously had compassion, had empathy on this crying infant, a beautiful baby boy, according to Hebrews 11, the child was beautiful. Yeah, and even that imagery of drawing him out of the water and saying, I, I called him Moses, this idea of he, he, he was saved from and delivered from the water, but he would also become a deliverer through the water, not to get too much ahead into our next stories. But but just as you think about Moses, um, it's interesting, Stephen in the book of, of Acts, it, it gives the chronology and he breaks the life of, of Moses down into 40-year segments. It's the only place where this happens. God gave him this, this wisdom and understanding. And it says, for 40 years, Moses was in the courts of Pharaoh. He was educated in all the learning of, of Egypt. And this would have been included in there with strategic warfare and, and all kinds of education. I mean, he went to the best of schools in the world at that time. Moses was, was cared for, drawn out of the water by this princess and cared for like he was, was one of Pharaoh's own family. 
But then Moses for 40 years is going to be raised on and, and experience the backside of the Midianite desert. Um, it's there where he's going to come into a relationship with God Almighty, with Yahweh. It's there where he's going to pastor sheep, where he's going to learn to lead and feed and protect and guard these sheep. And this experience is going to teach Moses a number of things. It's going to teach him patience. It's going to teach him to grow in personal discipline and care for others, for these, these sheep that are directly under his care, how to guide them and direct them, these stubborn, willful sheep. And then he's going to spend 40 years directing other kinds of sheep, human sheep in the wilderness, um, these stubborn, willful uh, people. And when you think through that, all of this is, is beginning with God's miraculous provision to, to even preserve Moses' life and bring him out of the Nile. Um, and, and this idea that God is working behind the scenes. I, I love, and during these many days, um, after the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel, they're groaning because of their slavery and they're crying out to God for help. A God they really don't know that well. The, a God that Moses will kind of reintroduce them to. Um, and they cry for rescue from slavery, came up to God and God heard their groaning. These are the people that enslaved in Egypt. He heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And by the way, that, that doesn't mean God had forgotten it. it. It's God being, again, this idea of he's saying, now's the time. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I love those verbs. God heard, and God does hear our cries and our prayers. He, he hears our distress. And he cares. God remembered. And again, I love that it's already in Genesis we've seen that God remembered Noah. God, God um, in this way, he stirred up. And he's going to follow through and act on behalf of his people according to his word, but also according to his timing. And that, that covenant he made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the promises he made, he's already said they're going to be a great nation. And so it's going to happen but it's going to happen in his timing. And that God saw, he, he saw the heartache. He, he saw that and he knew he was, was concerned for his people. All of this paints the picture and, and kind of here's a head to heart for me. All of this paints a picture that I need to be reminded. Sometimes do I feel like God isn't hearing, that he's gone deaf? That's crazy. Do I sometimes feel like God isn't remembering? I need to know that God does see that God does hear, that God does care. So this week, we want to offer these words of hope to you. In Exodus 2, verses 24 and 25, we have that hope that God does hear. He remembers, he sees us, and he knows. We encourage you to listen to the song we've shared in the show, show notes this week. I'm calling on the God of Moses. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Do you need God today? Do you need him to show up to be that rock in your life? He is faithful, and he will be there for each of us when we call out to him. Let's close with prayer eternal covenant-keeping God, we come before you now and we ask for your strength. You are the one true God and we choose to worship you today. We acknowledge that we need you. Oh, truly, we desperately need you. You protected a beautiful baby boy 
floating in a woven basket in the Nile River. And Lord, you care about where each of us are today. You hear our prayers. You remember the covenant of love that you've offered to us that has said that faithful covenant keeping love. Lord, you see us and you know the details of our situation. And so we ask today, would you come near to us through your word, through the encouragement of maybe a fellow believer, but Lord, would you meet us today? And would our hearts be encouraged as we continue to walk with God? Amen. Thank you for joining us as we walk with God. This is Brenda McCord. Walt and I are thankful for this opportunity to participate with the Awakening in America, an outreach of the Himmelreich Memorial Christian Library.